I didn't even know what that there was at the philanthropies department until I moved back to Utah. I had a neighbor who worked there, told me about it. And when I looked into it, I thought, I, this looks really cool. Like the idea of working with people who want to give money to those in need. I like that. So, um, you know, do I miss writing about deodorant? Mm-hmm. A little bit, Richie, a little bit. But um, <laughs> but I was glad to give up advertising to come uh, to come work in philanthropies. And, uh, and at the same time, I was also uh, interviewing at Bonneville, which is, you know, an ad agency for the church. And they asked me that in the interview. They're like, how do you feel about, uh, you know, how's your testimony? I was like, fine. And uh, yeah, this guy, it was a funny question. He goes, I, I used to love Jell-O. I loved eating Jell-O. Then I saw how Jell-O was made and I don't love Jell-O anymore. So it was kind of that, you know, you're going to see how the sausage is being made. You're going to be working with people who are working for the church. And uh, so I appreciated the, the warning but, um, and of course, I, I guess I just went in knowing we're all flawed and we're all trying to do a good thing. And sometimes it, we won't stick the landing, but I feel like we're all trying to do the right thing. And that's, that's kind of how it's felt. You know, nobody's, nobody's perfect. I, mean, I don't think we should expect them to be. So, um, so no, that hasn't been my experience, but I do get it. I do think some people would not like working. Like good, good members of the church would be like, nah, not my jam. Full disclosure in this episode with Ken Craig, uh, I, I think that maybe we just got too pally, too chummy. Uh, Ken is just a great guy, easy to visit with and talk about anything. Uh, and so, you know, I, I mean, did we know where we were going to go when we started on this whole thing? I mean, sure, he's written a book and, and he's a dad and all those things, but but you'll sort of find us just kind of meandering through various topics. Not I'm not to say that it's not a really great episode, because it is, if I do say so myself, a, a really great episode. Uh, but you'll just kind of, it, it's how our brains work, I think. We kind of just go topic to topic to topic, and then we get to the end and we go, hey, was that good? And the answer is yes. But I don't know that we would have ever set out to be like, yeah, and then we'll talk here, and then we'll go to this subject, and then we'll talk about this this way. Uh, you can find the great video of Ken at uh, the Cultural Hall's Patreon Facebook page. I encourage you to become a Patreon saint. It's patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. Find and follow us on all social medias at the Cultural Hall. And hey, you know what? If you like this Ken Craig guy, you like the Cultural Hall, won't you consider leaving us a review? wherever you're getting this episode in podcast form type a few words say hey you know what i really appreciate and then you fill in the blank let's make it an exercise an exercise in gratitude today here's this episode of the cultural hall it's time for another episode of the cultural hall and today we're joined with uh, kenneth craig now, I just call him Ken, but let's start there. Are you n- named after one any uh, particular Kenneth? Kenneth? Uh, my dad. Okay. I'm named after my dad, yep. So you are Kenneth Craig Jr. Did you do the obnoxious thing and no. have the uh, third and so on? <laughs> we sidestepped the obnoxious thing. Okay. okay. Is, uh, Ken, my dad is Kenneth Nelson Craig. I am Kenneth Quentin Craig. Okay. And we both hate Kenneth, so... There's that. Do, do you have a Bednar Craig that's uh, uh, in the uh, in, in the generations? Because isn't both no, Nelson no. and Quentin both apostolic I, yeah, names? That's, that's true. No, no. The Bednar one, maybe down the line. Maybe, okay. You know, later. Is I'll that, that, is that an announcement day. we're having more kids, Kenneth Craig? 
No, we're the, <laughs> this Kenneth Craig is done. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Too old. Uh, if if you don't if you don't know uh, Ken Craig, you might uh, recognize him as Bishop Rudd from the ever so popular uh, "Once I Was a Beehive," soon to be out uh, this summer. "Once I Was Engaged," a pivotal role in that film, Bishop Rudd. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. You might also recognize him as a co-host of the ever-popular Sharing Time, which you can see a video of on, uh, what, Facebook, right? We do it, face. yeah, we record it as a podcast, but do it Facebook Live mm-hmm. and then release the podcast episode later. Is it a thing that people can check out on YouTube, too, or are you two handsome videoed gentlemen that, that are leaning into the video space looking to be an influencer and... And tell people about financial plans in the future that they can get themselves off on. And, and, you know, well, yeah. yeah, we are huge influencers. Um, <laughs> just ask my children how much yeah. I influence them. Uh, we have we've kind of talked about leaning into YouTube, but as of now, yeah, you can go onto our Facebook page, Sharing Time, and you'll see all of our episodes recorded there. Or you can go to Apple Podcast and download it and listen to the podcast there if you don't want to look at us, which is understandable. Sure, sure. Now, uh, the idea of sharing time, you and also previous guest of the Cultural Hall, Sean Rapier, who uh, people may also know, the host of Latter-day Lives. Um, Yes, that's right. You guys combine together. What is sharing time? What is it like? Is it, tell tell me this, please bless that it's not another Come Follow Me program of two people talking about how we can study on our own, but we are coming together for Come Follow Me. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, of course not. Um, no, it is, it is not that. It is, uh, um, it is Latter-day Saint focused, but it is more like a cultural conversation, um, kind of the stuff like uh, we'll, we'll laugh about and talk about steak dances or, you know, what high adventure used to look like when we had scouting and, and things like that kind of even like uh, we'll talk generally about we did a top 10 of christmas video or okay. movies okay top 10 christmas movies but it is there's always it's a flavor of of the latter days saying you know culture so it's definitely focused on that but it's more just conversational there's not a lot of planning that goes into it uh, richie we just <laughs> sort of uh, show up and be like hey let's talk about this and then we jump into it. So to me, if I if I may cut to the root of it, what it seems like, and this is by no means uh, uh, a downplay or an undercut of it, it's uh, two guys that want to be able to hang out and need a reason to justify it to their spouses and or families. Is that is that a fair? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> you won't find that in our subscript, but yes, that's uh, <laughs> that's what it is. If nobody tuned in i think i would still show up at sean's you know recording studio and we would re- record our conversations we're that desperate for friendship so <laughs> <laughs> no but, but but i mean there's something sincere and sort of sweet about it because it does it just seems like two guys who have known each other for uh, you know a good long time and then just sort of riffing right like hey what are we yeah. talking about tonight oh i'm not really sure you want to talk about beehives sure here we go let's yeah. let's get this yeah. episode out that's exactly yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's always been a lot of fun though, a, lot, a really good time. Because we do it Facebook Live, we can get comments from people live, and we call them our sharing squad. And so it's it's fun to incorporate other people's insights or comments and and have sort of a dialogue that way. But yeah, it's really between Sean and I. We met right after Katie and I got married. So yeah, we've been friends for about twenty five years. We met doing improv, and uh, and it's just kind of. Yeah, just old friends sitting around chatting. And when you talk about improv and you talk about 25 years, that seems to put me 
uh, in the mind of several previous guests here of the Cultural Hall, right? There's sort of a, a cult of you guys who met at yeah. BYU. I mean, really, like tremendously yeah. professional people working uh, both in and out of the entertainment industry who kind of all... Uh, came together at this particular time and uh, and did improv together. Name, drop some names. I'll tell you if I have had those folks here in the cultural hall before. All right. Well, Lisa Valentine Clark had her here friend. before. Yep. Yep. Uh, Lincoln Hoppe. Yep. Had him before, and we'll have him again because of his upcoming project with Witnesses. Right. Witnesses. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Lincoln's great. Lincoln and I were mission companions twice, and then. Um, roommates at, at BYU after our missions and he's kind of he's the one that encouraged me to get into improv he had some theater background I had none he's like no you can do it and kind of kind of strong-armed me into it and so I owe a lot of these connections to to Lincoln where did you serve um, Portugal okay okay so you spoke uh let me think uh Portuguese yeah that was what we were supposed to learn yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to speak it did you struggle <laughs> no it, it came all right uh I think any missionary still sounds like a child, no matter how fluent they think they are in the in the foreign language. So I did okay. Um, I was not. I was just going to say, and and just so you know, um, it's probably been a long enough time that you need to be reminded about this. Uh, when you tell people uh, that you spoke Portuguese, you have to say Portuguese, so you sound pretentious, that's, that's and right, and right. people are just like, why, why can't you just say Portuguese? Yeah, that's right. No, because yeah. you need to know yeah, yeah. How, how, how fluent I was. Uh, have you had Eric Snyder on? I have not had Eric Snyder on. You should. You would have a great time with Eric. So Eric started the Garens, the comedy troupe, the improv sketch comedy troupe that we all met in. And so, um, and I know you've met him, but uh, Eric's great. Um, you had Sean on. Um, trying to think of who was in our original cast. Joel Wallen. Haven't had Joel. I know uh, I sort of lump into this group Darren Tufts. Who is yep, a previous guest of the yeah. cultural hall? He's been here as well. Um, let me think of other folks, sort of from this time. It, it it it's sort of a thing that I think, like you guys all made this blood pact with the devil, you know, like <laughs> twenty five years ago, and you're like, listen, if we can create this, we'll you know seal our deal with whatever, and then we'll go out and be successful in all those things, and 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 have all of you have, yeah. That that deal was sealed off campus yeah, with the yeah, devil. Yeah, 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 not on campus. Yeah, I no, he's not allowed. He's not allowed. <laughs> that's great. <right. laughs> no, that's uh, that's true. So when my when my wife and I finished BYU, we moved to Las Vegas for a job. No connections there, but ended up there fourteen years. Hmm. Moved back here about eight years ago, and right when we moved back, in fact, Darren Tufts called and was like, "Hey, I'm doing this commercial. I need you and Katie to come be in it." And I was like, "Oh." Like in Vegas, we had done not we'd done a little bit of like local theater, but nothing. So we moved back, and Darren's like, "Yeah, I want you and Katie in this commercial." And then soon after that, it was like, you know, Lisa was, "Hey, uh, we're looking for a bishop for once I was a beehive," and that's kind of yeah. There's kind of this group from 25 years ago that many of them are still very much in this industry, mm-hmm. and they just and a lot of times they'll reach out and kind of tap their friends and be like, "I need you to come do this," or "Would you be interested in this?" or at least auditioning for you know this thing and. Uh, it's kind of cool. It keeps you very connected. And uh, and I always think, and I know you, I mean, doing a podcast and uh, and your work, your day job with Lisa, there's something that bonds you in creating something mm-hmm. together. Um, there's just, uh, there's something wonderful. That's where the magic is, is in creation together. So I, yeah, these people are all very much still connected and, and uh, 
these are great friendships. It reminds me, uh, people will remember from So I Married an Axe Murderer, that movie from the early 90s. Oh, loved it. Saw uh, it several times there, in the theater. The, yeah, there's the part <laughs> where he says, well, it's a well-known fact, Sonny Jim, that there's a, coll- a <laughs> collective of the five wealthiest people in the world known as yeah. the Pentavrit. The Pentavrit. Right? <laughs> and, yeah. and so you get this idea that, uh, you know, this is connected to this and this is connected to this. And here's the deal. Like, this is just one little pod of this in BYU history 25 years ago, but this is the church. Like when you start to look at genealogy within the church and you realize that, you know, like M. Russell Ballard is the great grandson of Hiram Smith and, you know, that President Hinckley and blah, 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 you know, like all these different people, like, like we are a worldwide church that instead of seven degrees and Kevin Bacon, we're two degrees and they married each other. Yeah, that's yeah, it's it's a very uh, yeah, it's a very well connected world. So let me ask you this: Vegas as a member of the church, what's that like? You know, the church is actually very strong in in Vegas. A lot of people think of Vegas as just the Strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when we moved back up to Utah, we'd be like, "Yeah, we we were living in Vegas," and they're like, "Henderson." <laughs> We're like, no, no, in Las Vegas, you know, like as if we were in the MGM Third Ward or something, you know, it's like. <laughs> it's great. It is. Siegfried and Roy are investigating the church. That's right. We just and the let board's them been come. very welcoming. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, the, the Vegas just keeps spreading out and it's like, you know, it's like two million or maybe even closer to three million now. And the church is very strong there. People uh, know where the temple is, even if they're not members of the church. Uh, but it is a weird, it is a weird city for sure. You know, Tell me what you mean by hour. weird. Tell me what you mean. Oh, it's just culturally, it's a, it's 24 hour town, you know, you, Walmart and grocery stores are open 24 hours and you'll go there and, uh, and it's crowded mm-hmm. just because there are people who work, you know, who do work on the strip and their hours might be, you know, midnight to 8am. And so th- there's just constant movement and, uh, weird industries weird entertainment industries there and sure. uh, everybody comes through that town and so uh and you still you see billboards in your residential areas that you wouldn't see yeah. in other sure. cities sure. Sure. for clubs and stuff so it's it's just very different that way but wonderful people we loved our time there you know 14 years some of the greatest people i know uh, i met there it's an interesting perspective where we think about like oh we have to protect our children right like salt lake city billboards and even the magazine checkouts here in the state of utah you know different coalitions and i'm not throwing shame on them but they're like oh cover that up that that's not the case in las vegas right it's essentially naked women for the most part on it do you feel like both the discussion that you had with your children and the discussion around like uh sexually adult issues is is more thoroughly discussed there within the church in vegas than you would see here or are we still just like we are here as well as most other places oh no no we don't talk about it because then they'll want to do it uh that's a good question i don't i think i think that's probably a very individual family decision um i do remember asking my son you know, as he was getting to be a certain age. And I was like, are you, you know, you're on the computer. Do you, do you see pornography? And he was like, yeah, on the billboard down the street, you know, (laughs) I've seen it. It's everywhere. And that, and it struck me as, oh yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. Um, So there were certainly discussions of that, you know, to get to the airport, you you have to go downtown. And I know my wife and I, when we would go to pick up people who would come into town, we wouldn't necessarily take the kids because it's, so prevalent there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i don't with with how accessible that kind of stuff is everywhere 
you know, on computers and stuff. I don't know that it's any more uh, pronounced there than, or the discussions are any more uh, relevant or um, frequent there than they are here or anywhere, just because, again, it's so, you know, maybe back in the 80s or something, <laughs> but now it's so accessible everywhere. I don't, I don't know that that conversation changes from state to state. I would be curious, and you talk about, you know, sort of opening up your family for discussion. A lot of people, certainly myself and the perspective that I bring to the church, parents never really had the the sit-down discussion about sex with me. Um, That's something that that, uh, even to this day, if I sort of even poke around the idea of talking about that with my dad, he'll be like, what are we trying to do, son? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what what's going on you know yeah. and 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 really it's just for my entertainment at this purposes i'm not yeah. i'm not trying to you know suss I out sent any information you to public school so you could have this discussion with somebody else <laughs> but but i feel like that idea and that sort of um thought processes uh, within the church is still very prevalent, right? That we don't sort of talk about it. We want you to figure it out. You have, at least by the expression of that conversation with your son, said, "Hey, you know what? We're going to talk about it more." H- how do you feel like you, as a as a as a parent, as a dad of kids nowadays? Like, how has that conversation changed than what you received growing up? Well, I think so my parents were very. Um, I think they were. I don't remember ever having that conversation. Right, the sit down. Mm-hmm conversation about it um they were available if i had questions but it wasn't uh i I think maybe when you're young you're waiting for someone else to bring it up right you're not sure what to ask or how to talk about it and so so i didn't really have that conversation frequently with my with my parents or i really don't have any memory of having that conversation with Mm -hmm. my parents and my parents are wonderful people and they did a phenomenal uh, job but um yeah that just wasn't something uh, and I, and maybe it is the state of the world now. I think, uh, if I feel like if you, if you're not having that conversation, your kids are going to learn it somewhere else and who's gauging how accurate that information is. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We, my wife and I will start when they're younger with, uh, just like, and it's kind of fallen on me. It used to be the two of us together would, would talk to our kid. Mm-hmm. Then it started to seem like that was making it a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we're doing it right. Every family can do it the way they want, but for us, it felt like this intimidating thing of, or, or almost like we're interrogating them. Mm-hmm. So it became, uh, she was like, why don't you like have the initial conversation and then any questions we can both feel them. So a lot of times I'll, I'll take in the lunch and then once we're out of the restaurant, not within public earshot of anybody, I kind of, uh, I kind of just say, Hey, you know, these are some of the, like, how do you think babies are made? And we'll kind of go down that road with some mm-hmm. mechanics. And then that's just the initial conversation. And as they get older, we revisit it. And I think I think the key is just sounding kind of casual and comfortable about it so that it doesn't seem like this is the end all be all of things. Mm-hmm. And you better not be looking at this. Or if you've come across this, that's wrong. It's, it's sort of, uh, it's just a little more informal. Yeah. So that they so that they do feel like and, and then it, again, it's coming back to it from time to time and saying, hey, let's, you know, any questions or uh, have you come across anything or um, I definitely want them to feel like this is the safest place to talk about it. Anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure why we ventured here, but I, I would be curious. <laughs> I uh, think Vegas let us. Here. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess <laughs> and we weren't supposed to talk about it because we're not in Vegas anymore. No, <laughs> that's right. Stays in Vegas. Oh, crap. Uh, it. it <laughs> Has it been a beneficial experience then from from what you have experienced with your kids being able to have that open line of communication that maybe you didn't have with your parents? Yeah, I think it's 
I'm definitely grateful for it. And I haven't had any, as my kid, you know, I have adult children now and, and I asked them was, you know, was there anything you should have done differently? And they're, they seem all fine. Yeah. Three years of counseling and they're fine. No, they're, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, they're, the feedback has been encouraging. And so I feel like it's, uh, it's working, whatever we're doing. So You know, as we sit here and talk, I don't remember. I know that I have known at some point. I don't know what you do professionally. I know we talked about the sharing time business, that you're yep. an actor on the side when your friends are like, hey, we need a guy that looks like this. But what, <laughs> what is it that you do professionally? So professionally, I work for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Heard of I am, it? Uh, in the philanthropies department. What does that mean? Uh, so I work with, I'm a donor liaison. I work with uh, people primarily members of the church who make uh, large donations, large gifts to the church. We are a department under the office of the presiding bishopric, and annually we get kind of the goals of here's the areas that we're fundraising for. And you have the educational area, so all the church schools, uh, and then uh, the church priorities, which are like uh, humanitarian efforts, general missionary fund, uh, family search. And then there might be something else, like right now they're doing uh, – church history sites they're updating church some renovations at church history sites so there's there's always one that will kind of fade in and out but the the educational and those other church priorities i mentioned are kind of the kind of the main focus of the church so so, so with it now say i had like a big dump truck of money and i said you know hey uh, i would like to donate this because i really want um the kirtland area to be repurposed can can i be that specific with the donation to philanthropies or do you just say hey we're taking your money and we'll do what we want with it <laughs> yeah it's sort of a bully situation no uh, we uh, within some uh within some of the priorities yes there is room for i'd like this to go to that Obviously, if you're setting up a scholarship, the Richie T. Stedman Scholarship at BYU-Hawaii, then you can name it that and, and put money towards that. Some things are set up to be for the sake of efficiency, like humanitarian aid. Mm -hmm. um, it is more of a general bucket because whatever the most urgent needs are, they want to be able to, to give to that. And the church has <clears throat> thousands of partnerships. A lot of times we are the funds that will go to something that Catholic Charities already has boots on the ground doing. Mm -hmm. And so we will be supportive that way. So it's and those things, because of the rotating urgencies, then it's easier. It's more efficient because it's a lean team to just say we're going to take from this bucket. So give to this bucket. We'll take from the bucket when it's when it's uh, needed. So that so, yeah, it depends. Sometimes you can be specific. Sometimes uh, it's just more effective to not be. But. I want to take a break real quick because I've always been warned about something and I want to give you that warning and find out if it is in fact true. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall. I've got about 60 seconds to talk to you about best DJ in Utah. Now here's the deal. I have almost attained this for real, meaning I almost have the most reviews in the state of Utah as far as DJ services go. How about that? That's Best DJ in Utah, and I didn't just buy the web domain. That's actually some proof in the pudding. Here's the deal. Doing lots of events. I'm able to do it from a socially uh, distant, a physically distant distance. 
That's a lot of distance, I just said. Uh, but if you want to find out more about how I may be able to make your party, whether that be holiday or family reunion, or you've got a wedding coming up, make that the best event it possibly can be, I would hope that you would please join me over at bestdjinutah.com. You can find out about pricing, ask for a quote, and be able to correspond with me there. The website, again, is bestdjinutah. And don't let the name fool you. I'm going to Texas next month. Bestdjinutah.com. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. Friends, I know a lot of you guys and girls are working from home. So here's some tips for making sure your computer is ready for working at home, because if your computer fails, it's going to be really hard to get it fixed because of dwindling supply and parts. But we have parts right now, and we have a limited supply of new computers available for you. Make sure your computer is healthy and virus and malware-free. Hackers are trying to infect people and stealing their information during these challenging times. We'll scan the health of your computer for viruses and malware, Plus, scan your hard drive, memory, and components to make sure you don't have any failing parts. You want to make sure you have strong antivirus and malware protection software as well. Just get into any PC laptops and we'll check your hardware and your software and scan your computer for viruses for absolutely free. Just go to PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we've been serving you for over 28 years, and we've got your back during these times of need. We're all in this together, so just go to PCLaptops.com and we'll get you taken care of. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, if you are not a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, I encourage you to do so. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. It's like the philanthropies of the church, really, except it's just one bucket, and that bucket pays for things like Zoom calls and microphones and uh, w- websites <coughs> and uh, internet. And um, occasionally I buy myself a pizza. Full disclosure. I don't think that that's how the church's philanthropies go. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of if they just, you know, go. How buy could I say I want my Patreon gift to go to pizza? Yeah, can of I course. Of course. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. It also gets you to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group that is set up for all of you Patreon saints. So please go do that. There's that $5 tier and that $10 tier. So go ahead. Do that. Won't you please? Now, Ken, I have always been warned. Don't work for the church because it will give you a different perspective about the church and your testimony will be tried. True or false? Uh, it's true that I've heard that as well. That has not been my experience. Uh, I've only been there about uh, four years. So my my degree and my previous experience was in advertising, mm-hmm. um, some creative, some uh, strategy and account managing. And so... Uh, I didn't even know what that there was a philanthropies department until I moved back to Utah. I had a neighbor who worked there, told me about it. And when I looked into it, I thought, I this looks really cool. Like the idea of working with people who want to give money to those in need. I like that. So, um, you know, do I miss writing about deodorant? Mm-hmm. A little bit, Richie, a little bit. But um, <laughs> but I was glad to give up advertising to come uh, to come work in philanthropies. And, uh, and at the same time, I was also uh, interviewing at Bonneville, which is, you know, an ad agency for the church. And they asked me that in the interview. They're like, how do you feel about, uh, you know, how's your testimony? I was like, fine. They're <laughs> and like, no. like, and they sort of lean in with their head down. No, but yeah. really, how is yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this guy, it was a funny question. He goes, I, I used to love Jell-O. I loved eating Jell-O. Then I saw how Jell-O was made. And I don't love Jello anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of that, you know, you're going to see how the sausage is being made. You're going to be working with people who are working for the church, 
And uh, so I appreciated the, the warning, but, um, and of course, I, I guess I just went in knowing we're all flawed and we're all trying to do a good thing. And sometimes it, we won't stick the landing, but I feel like we're all trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of how it's felt. You know, nobody's, nobody's perfect. And I don't think we should expect them to, to be so. Um, so no, that hasn't been my experience, but I do get it. I do think some people would not like working like good, good members of the church would be like, Nah, not my jam. I don't want to. Well, it's a fallacy, I think, that we set up in our minds, right? That like Christ's church should be perfect as Christ was perfect, that, you know, everyone be treated, etc. And and the end of the day, and it's uh, uncomfortable for some, but, you know, there is an arm of the church that is the corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And some people hear that and go, I don't, I don't really like that. But yeah. like a business, it makes business decisions that yeah. sometimes people go, ugh. I didn't, I didn't care for that business decision at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and th it's funny because I think that's absolutely true. And, um, but there is a gentleness in working there. We go through a training that's like how to lead or work like the savior. Like they're aware of, we're all flawed, but we should also be trying to do our, our best here. And so there is, sometimes you see someone get bent out of shape about something. And I think you have been out of corporate America for a long time, if that's something that's bothering you, mm -hmm. because this is such a an encouraging culture here that we're working in, like no one's straight up a jerk, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so they may not handle something exactly how you want it. I'm sure I haven't handled something the way someone wanted, but but uh, but it's still a great environment. That's been my experience. I really enjoyed it. You know, similar as how I work for, you know, a church institution and am under the um the requirement of of uh, you know receiving an ecclesiastical endorsement and there's some level of religiousness that I need to keep is is that the case with what you do as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Temple so, recommend. Yeah, right. so so the question that I sort of have around it, and I believe us both to be temple recommend holding you know individuals faithful. Um, you know, not card carrying say, members. Yeah, not to say that we don't have things that we question because we do. Sure. Is, is there ever um just sort of in the in the silent moments in your mind that you muse about it or that you talk with other folks where you're like, yeah, I, I don't know that this is, I I don't know that this is is the way that this should be. And the only reason that I ask is a, a little while ago I was reading an article about like faith questioning that came out of BYU. It was a, a tremendous article that was done um, by the Daily Universe, the school paper. A and I guess that the sort of the question is, is do you feel safe in being able to question or have, you know, times of doubt and or, you know, faith crises if your livelihood, your mortgage payment, your, you know, things are, are, are all on the line? Like, can you can you do that or or, you know, the comfortability level of being able to express that because I, I want to be able to feed my family. I want to be able to keep in the job, especially if it's just a hiccup. Now, it's different if I leave the church and say, oh, you know, this is not true and I don't want to be any part of it. But just having those, those hard times, like how do, how have you mused about that? Um, that thought's crossed my mind before. Not not for me. Uh not for any specific individual that I that I know that I thought, oh, they're they're faith transitioning. How are they going to handle this? Mm -hmm. But I I thought that that is an interesting um, uh, an interesting dynamic. If you're working for the church, and let's say you do uh, something, I know there's only a few things, but you do something that where you lose that that temple recommend. What what then? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if they are if it's something you're like, look, I I didn't want to. It was this thing that happened, and and you're trying to work back. 
if it's something where like i know i i had a friend that uh didn't work for the church but worked for byu mm-hmm. who was clearly faith transitioning and sort of uh timed it where they just i think rather than coming forward and saying i don't know anymore they just looked for a position somewhere else mm-hmm. and and then moved on i don't know uh i, I don't know that it's a play i was gonna, i was saying i don't know that uh, I, I think nowadays we all have questions of like, oh, well, society says this, the church is doing it this way. That's different. Why? How do I think and feel about that? And some stuff just gets shelved for later and some stuff you you work through. And and uh, But to have something that really nod at you enough that you're like, I'm going to need to look for a new job. That's an interesting place to be. Um, uh, that's, again, not my my own journey. And, um, and I don't know anybody who's gone through that. But you're right. That isn't... Uh, that brings a different dynamic when it's your livelihood and you're thinking, well, I'm going to, and I think they, if I'm looking at my friend's example, I think what they probably do is rather than just quit, they look for something else to land on first and they go, I'm going to, I don't know how I feel about this anymore. I'm going to, because you, because to me, the genuine part of me wouldn't want someone to work for some sort of church entity uh, and, and be lying, you know, you know, yeah. like go through the steps. Sure, they could get a temple recommend or whatever, but they don't believe it. They don't want right. to right. to to be any part of it. And I don't and I don't think that that would be God's plan either. Right. I don't think right. he's like, right. hey, uh, keep up appearances. That's really right. important to me. Like I like I just don't I just don't see that. Um, but it the has, first commandment, keeping yeah, up with appearances. Yeah, exactly. And then quite n- next to that, you'll see the Joneses and then like love other people. <laughs> These are just sort of yeah. the, the different things that, that I muse about. How come the church doesn't talk more about the philanthropies that we do? You know, that's a good question. I didn't know, again, when I came aboard, I didn't know they existed. I think because it's a very unique engagement with people. Um, if the prophet, because a lot of people say, why didn't the prophet stand up in, in conference and say, hey, we need more money for humanitarian aid? Yeah. Uh, and occasionally you'll hear talks that are focused on humanitarian aid. Um, you know, Latter-day Saint Charities came about in 1985 because of uh, the uh, hunger in and uh, in Ethiopia in Africa and so there was live aid and um, you know with all the music artists that came came together and then the church actually saw that and said hey we should be doing something there and Latter-day Saint Cherries now it's going over two billion dollars since mm-hmm. 1985 mm-hmm. but um I think it's because if the and I don't haven't seen this written. My own philosophy is if the prophet stood up and said, "We need this money," you would have the widow's mite. You would have widow's mites everywhere. People saying, "I don't have it," but the prophet has asked for it. I'm going to give it. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is more of an opportunity for those who do have it and want to do something good with it. So rather than like a shotgun approach, it's a it's a rifle approach. It's mm-hmm. it's really an invitation for those who are in a because the church has money. You know, Heavenly Father has money. It's more about the singular opportunity for an individual who wants to engage and be a part of it, a part of building a kingdom in that way. So, um, so it's not widely broadcast. It really is more of a an individual engagement. So that's, I think that's why. And it's a completely separate thing. So I understand it. Philanthropies is completely separate when we think of like the nest egg that the church has that. You know, certainly got a lot of popularity in in talk in 2020, and yeah. you know, f- for the last several years, the hundred billion, the hundred and seventeen yeah. billion, the now because the market crashed, only sixty billion, whatever those things are, like those are completely different buckets that the church uses, right? Right, right. Yeah, these are and these are used, um, you know, ongoing. 
there's always going to be humanitarian needs. There will always be, you know, family search, their efforts to digitize records. And, you know, there's, yeah, this is an ongoing work. So it, it gets used. Was it a shift in your life where you're like, Meh, I'm, I'm working for the man and I, you know, I don't really have the, the calling and I'm air quoting calling uh, that, <laughs> that, that you would, you know, you have as far as life goes, but you sort of reach a part of life and you go, what am I really doing here? What, what, uh, you, <laughs> like, you know was what a little saying? bit of a midlife crisis? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. Like what's my purpose? What's a legacy? What am I actually leaving behind? And you look at that stick of deodorant and you're like, yeah, it makes you smell good. But when I die, <laughs> someone else, lives? yeah, someone else will, you know, talk about how that changes a life. Yeah. For me, there was for sure some of that. It was, uh, it was a feeling of, um, uh, you know, the, the why of what you do, right. The Simon Sinek, mm -hmm. you know, this philosophy book of why you do what you do. And I was always like, I guess my whole career was why so that I can fund my family as mm -hmm. uh, why I don't necessarily and I, I knew wonderful people each place I worked, but it wasn't like I was this couldn't happen without me or I was born to do this. It was none of those like life affirming whys, even though I, I enjoyed them all. It was but I, when this came along, I thought the why of working for the church is just is building the kingdom. And, and I like I liked that. That mission kind of stood out to me. Uh, it's involved in bettering people's lives. And and that was measurable to me. And I thought, I, I like that. So yeah, there was definitely a shift of, I definitely want to come uh, work in the church. And I really liked this idea of connecting people, people who had and wanted to give and people who needed and being able to be the kind of the grease for that happening. Yeah, I like, yeah, it was, it was, it was a bit of a midlife crisis switch. You know, one thing that I think we we it's interesting within the church that I have been listening to a lot of evangelicals recently. The idea that um, that um, that we're smart with money so that we can give more of God's money back to his children. Right. That's sort of been the premise of a, a lot of this stuff that I've been recent, recently listening to. And we sort of do the tithing as, you know, we brand it as fire insurance, right? That we, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're going to be protected, right? That's a little crude, but I, I've heard that enough <laughs> that I know that that's not an introduction, you know, to something new for a lot of people. Yeah. Do, do you feel like we as... Um, a, a church culture that we uh, as members of the church really look at God is just allowing us to have this money for a, a while to meet our needs, but that really we should be giving back more or are we more prescriptive? Like, Hey, I'm going to do the, the box that says 10%, the box that says fast and, and uh, you know, all those kind of things. How, how do you think that we embrace it and how could we change it and look at it differently? I think we do. I think we are as a as a people, as a religion. Um, we do give a lot. Yeah, you got tithing, you got fast offering, you have your time. Mm -hmm. You know, we serve in these lay callings, and um, and so so we do give. And I think are there opportunities to do more? Always. Uh, but I but I don't think we should ever feel um, guilted into it. Right. Yes. And that's been an instruction to us. Is you know you're not going to meet with people saying. You know, you made covenants, you know, to <laughs> law of consecration, and I'm here to help you keep that by giving money. You know, that's that's uh, that's the wrong tone. Um, this is these are people who are already giving a lot, and so it's more of do you feel that you're in a position where the Lord wants you to do some some more? Uh, it's a very personal decision, and so we're really just extending the invitation of you consider, Richie. You know, you've been very successful. You built this business, and I would just invite you to consider if this is something you know, you would want to do. I'm, I'm just merely here to coordinate 
any efforts that you feel uh, that you should engage in. Yeah. And uh, and you're like, well, no, I, you know, I, I, I met with a guy in New York who he's like, he was an investment banker. He's like, I make a lot of money. Also, my rent every month is seven thousand dollars. You know, wow. it's like I'm spending all of it. I'm like, hey, I'm not. I'm not here to make you feel bad about what you're doing. I'm here to see if you want to do something. And if not, great. Um, and so I think that approach is inspired because I, I do I do think we give a lot. But being around it, I can't help but, but want to do a little bit more. I certainly, having worked there now, I do feel conscious of when they do those uh, giving machines at the end of the year, right? Mm-hmm. I'm all about taking my family to do that. Having been on, I graduated high school in Hawaii, so I have a great love for BYU Hawaii. Having been on that campus and seeing these global students that couldn't be there if they didn't have financial support, that's where that's where we give uh, every year. So yeah, I do feel that that spirit of philanthropy, and I do feel like uh, as members, because our hearts are so tuned to giving, if we had individual experiences with that, uh, maybe it's helping a missionary in your ward who mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to serve without your help. When you feel that spirit of it, you you instinctively, I think, want to do more. So on top of your tithing, on top of your fast offering, you're like, I want to do more. When you have an experience with it, sort of changes you. What I'm what I'm glad it, I'm not hearing is that it's not you invite a hundred wealthy people to a room and then give them a power <laughs> a PowerPoint presentation, and then yeah. at the end you pass out cards that say, "Who are other wealthy members of the church that you know that we may call right. upon and, right. and bring into that?" It's a, it people are very touchy about money. I'm I'm curious so much about that, and I appreciate you being um, pretty straightforward as to as to what your experience is that's like that, and, and a great conversation, again, about something that I don't think we talk nearly enough about within the church. I want to take another break. Uh, when we come back, there are those three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and who knows where else we'll venture. We'll do that coming back in the third block of the cultural hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Frankham from the Leading Saints Podcast. If you'll allow me to slide into the back row of the Culture Hall and let you know of an upcoming virtual conference that you gotta check out. In an effort to bring more thoughtful dialogue to the topic of mental health in the Latter-day Saint context— The team over at Leading Saints has put together the Mentally Healthy Saints Virtual Summit. We have interviewed 20-plus individuals with expertise or real-life experience related to so many mental health topics, including anxiety, depression, eating disorders, ADHD, and even scrupulosity, which is Religious Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. We will discuss all these topics as they relate to the Latter-day Saint faith experience and how we can all come together to better minister to those who struggle with mental health. It's free to attend virtually, and you got to join us. For more details on what topics will be covered and to register for free, text the word LEAD to 474747 
or simply visit leadingsaints.org slash mental health. Again, text the word lead to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash mental health. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, do not forget we always love reviews. If you've liked this episode or any other recent episode, wherever you get this episode of the Cultural Hall, leave us a review. You could just do the stars. That's the lazy person's way of doing it. Uh, You can also give a little words to go along with the stars that says, hey, I really don't care for that Richie guy, but that Kenneth Craig, now there's a guy. (laughs) Uh, Whatever words you want to add to your review, it helps us to be seen by other folks and if we're being honest, just makes us feel good. Uh, wherever you get this episode, you can do that. You can also email us, contact at theculturalhall.com, or find us at The Cultural Hall on all social medias. So, Ken, let me ask you this. You've, uh, you discussed that you have a, 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 your wife, who is the sweetest person I know. Um, yeah. You've got some kids that are up and grown. Your youngest is how old? My youngest is seven. Okay, so as you look now 11 years down the road to kicking that kid out of the house... <laughs> Talk talk to me about sort of navigating the the parenthood uh, of today. Like what what is that? What does that look like? What did you think it was going to be that it hasn't been? What did you think it was going to be that it really has been more than you ever thought? Man, that's loaded. That's a loaded question there, yeah. Richie. I uh, so my wife and I are both from big families, and we never talked about when we were dating, engaged, how many kids we would have. Mm-hmm. We, we just knew. I think we both assumed we would have some. Yeah. Uh, assumptions are really assumptions are really good when you're dating. Just like assume yeah. the crap out of stuff. <laughs> That's right. Don't ever talk about it. We'll just talk assume. about that later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you had eight. Um, yeah, we have eight. That's Our insane. That's insane. Our oldest is twenty-three. Isn't yeah. it? Isn't it? Yeah, we're so outnumbered. So outnumbered. Uh, but but I'm being serious. Like in in a day and age, like I so I have one son, right? And I. You know, he's my ex-wife's kid, so he's not even technically my son. And just being a dad of one kid was so much. Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine that in an exponential, you know, eight, eight kids. Eight? Eight is enough. Yeah. But 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 being serious, and I'm not downplaying it. I'm not saying you're crazy or any of that stuff. But really, give me an idea in a day and age where the, the, uh, the common is like two, three, Four, you guys said, yeah, eight is what we're gonna do. Let's get it. Yeah, we it was it was so it was after our sixth that we were like, how how many are we having? <laughs> so it was literally, it was literally then. Um, I can only speak from my own experience. I agree, there are people who should not have eight children. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, you know, I don't know. They come one at a time. None of them so far has really given us a run for our money. Not to say that they're, they're perfect, but um, these are good souls. These are good kids. And so um, I don't, we've homeschooled uh, all of them. So in some ways that allows you a position of still being an opinion leader in their, in their lives, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. kind of an interesting dynamic we hadn't anticipated. We didn't decide to do it because of that, but it was. uh, Why did you decide to do that? My wife brought it up. So our oldest went to kindergarten. And she was like, you know, I'm having to wake up our sec- our third child in order to get our, you know, our oldest to kindergarten. I'm having to wake up Connor to get Abby to kindergarten. Then I have to wake him up again to go pick her up. Like, I don't like all these external influences determining what my schedule is in the day. And then we had some other friends who were homeschooling and they, 
had kind of talked to us about it. And so my wife was, I just, I remember she brought it up and was like, what do you think about homeschooling? And I was like, I don't know what, like, why? So I want, I want our kids to have a love for learning and I want them to feel confident that they can learn. And I was like, oh, I had neither of those things growing up. If that's something that you think you can cultivate in our home, great. So at the beginning, it was like year by year. She said, oh, I can't mess them up in one year. Let's, we'll see how it is after a year. And it just kind of kept going. And so that's been a great thing, I think. Um, was, it a, was, I, it a, was it a pressures of sociality that kept them within the walls of the home? Like sometimes you hear like, well, we didn't want them exposed to the evils right, of no. the world. Yeah, no, it wasn't that. It was really that they, they had a lot of cool opportunities because their schedule was so flexible. Like when we moved up to Utah... My son, Connor, uh, he's super creative, super great with his hands. And we had a friend that was working on a TV show at BYU. And I was like, hey, could Connor just come check out, you know, at the LDS Motion Picture Studio, help make props for the show or whatever. And so Connor got a part time job making props for and it was during the day. He wouldn't have been able to do that if he had been you know, in a de- at a desk. And so kind of it was kind of like that. It's just they had some sort of. Uh, unique opportunities and so that kind of kept us going and um so no it wasn't it wasn't a fearful decision or and it wasn't like uh we want control it was just uh it seemed like good opportunities came because of that that flexibility so um it's expensive to have this many kids yeah that's the other thing like i i don't have any money and at this point my kid is 23 uh, so he's not, you know, I'm not paying for him for half stuff and I don't have any money and it's just my wife and I, I don't even understand how you could feed 10 mouths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, the bill for that runs, runs high. I don't, I don't know. The Lord provides it. We've never gone without, um, even in times of, uh, you know, I've gone through different stints of underemployment where I thought I need to find something and I and I eventually do. I feel like we've been blessed that way. I feel like we've been blessed with good kids. Um, I don't know. Are, we enjoy them, so we spend a lot of time with them, and and so there's uh, it's a very fluid conversation. I don't know that we're that different from other families. Um, I don't think we have like you know the secret sauce or the the magic. I think we enjoy them and we engage with them. We show interest in what they're interested in. They pretend to listen to our stories and enjoy them. <laughs> um, they're, so, they're just some of my favorite people. And so there's, I think there's something good that comes of, of, of really enjoying your kids. But society so. would say you guys are just weird, just weird. For sure, because of homeschooling. <laughs> well, because of homeschooling. And like it's like, hey, this is my kid, Connor. And this is my kid, Abby. And then there's six more that need to be introduced yeah. to the. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was for, in Las Vegas. We used to uh, go shopping at, you know, at Trader Joe's. Uh-huh. And these are, you know, the demographic at Trader Joe's is these were people who were highly pierced and tattooed, you know, the gauges in the ears, and, and they just looked very different. But we were the freak show. Yeah. Because of <laughs> because of how many kids we we had, we got the looks of like, what is happening over there? And we even went to Costco once, and some guy behind one of the booths goes, "Is this a school field trip?" <laughs> and my my wife goes, "No, nope, it's a family." <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> so yeah, it was we're we're definitely a circus. Um, but 
sure it sure is fun they're great what do you anticipate so many people will talk about what it looks like when kids are out and when you have a literal basketball team with substitutions that have been within your home in 11 years when you look across the way and say hey katie it's you and i and and you've been doing this you've been a principal of our homeschool and and i'm working for philanthropies of the church is that is that mission president ken craig is that <laughs> like what 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 is what will that look like? Yeah, what does that look like? Gosh, that's a good question. We've only recently started. To, it's hard to ever imagine that day because we're so in the trenches right now, you know, for another, like you say, 11 years or so. Um, I, we definitely would love to do a mission. Yeah, definitely love to be involved in still doing right and doing good. So that would definitely be on the on the docket. And uh, I probably I probably wouldn't retire till um, late 60s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and well, then, you yeah. couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Katie is. Uh, I'll tell you something about Katie, but she never stops learning. So she graduated in sociology, but and now she, you know, does this homeschooling. But ever since we've had children, she loves, and I think you know this because I think she talked about it on Lisa's show. But she loves doing uh, doula work, birth, birth education, birth assisting, mm-hmm. and a lot of times she's been approached by midwives who have been like, Hey, you know, we're getting older. We need younger people in here. But she's like, I can't, you know, that's not my season of life right now. I've still got young kids at home. And, but I think she would um, enjoy getting more involved in that Hmm. when time, time gives her more opportunity as, as, you know, as our youngest, maybe two are still at home and she'll have more flexibility for that. So yeah, I think missions um, and Katie having more opportunity to do that. And I think that's what it'll look like. I love, as busy as we are, Katie and I will, we still do improv together at comedy sports here mm-hmm. locally. There's still stuff that we like to do together. When I do work trips, I'll sometimes take her with me. It's just so fun when it's just the two of us and we kind of, feels like we're getting away with something, you know, when we're <laughs> away. <laughs> but she's great. She's the funniest person I know. Tremendous heart, always willing to sacrifice. So, you know, I don't think this is your Valentine's Day show. I'm not trying to get too mushy, but um, she's just amazing. So, um, I can't imagine building a life like this with anybody else. And especially with eight children, I can't fathom <laughs> the exhaustion <laughs> that comes with it, what that would look like with anybody else. So, um, yeah, it's a wild, it's a wild ride. It's a lawless frontier here at the Craig house. Richie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, one of those things that I hope happens, uh, in the future is it will be the fifth part of once i was a beehive you know we get to the fifth <laughs> sequel of that we have but a yeah. minute tell me you are bishop rudd in that film and people uh, will likely be able to check that out here pretty quick uh w- pivotal role right you you are the guy that says once i was engaged and looks glaringly at the camera and you get the <laughs> titular role but what 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 do you do in that movie so I, yeah, so I am Bishop Rudd, and in Once I Was a Beehive, it all takes place at girls' camp, and I, I get to be up there with the girls as one of the leaders. In this one, I am, it's, it's a much smaller part, but I am, you know, there as a, uh, as a leader that um, the young woman who's engaged comes with her fiancé, and I get to meet with them and offer wise bishoply counsel and, uh, and then perform the, the wedding, officiate the wedding. So that's, that's what I get to do. Still in the bishop all these years later. I was going to say, is there any sort of side discussion that you shouldn't have been the bishop anymore or were you called again? (laughs) I hope not because I love being involved in it, but I did, 
I'm like, wow. But, um, you know, they're like in the first one, you know, it was at the beginning of your bishoping and now it's at the end yeah, of yeah, your bishoping. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so they justify. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's it's only been uh, five years, which is a standard time for a bishop yep. to serve. When we lived in Las Vegas, I was a bishop for five years, just over five years. And it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Um, because mostly I've forgotten the hard stuff at this point. I just remember all the people I love. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. And your wife's like, yeah, you were a bishop. So for five years, Sunday was me alone <laughs> yeah. with eight kids for yeah. five years. The saintly. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. 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 Uh, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you right now. The first question is, is do you have a calling currently? And if so, what is it? I do have a calling currently. I am a priest quorum advisor. Not a lot going on during COVID, yeah. but uh, but yes, that is what I currently if am. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? You know, I've thought about this before when I, when I first heard the cultural hall and I thought, what would I pick? And I think it would be a temple sealer because you get to see these people at a happiest time in their lives where they're at their best and then they leave and you have no stewardship over it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> you just get to be there for that exciting moment, and then away they go. <laughs> the final question that we ask everyone, and ask that you interpret it however you would like, the question remains is, what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith is the reassurance I feel through the atonement that everything will be okay. Because there's a lot of days where you're like, I don't know how this is going to end up or how this is going to work. But there is that deep-seated um conviction that through the atonement everything will be okay so th that reassurance is everything to me we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week and that when the time comes you'll be able to travel home in safety in the meantime brother brent ken williams and bigmikesproducts.com will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the cultural hall Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. 